Well, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, and we're continuing on with our synchronized series. And so let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll read through verse number 8, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago. And your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Let's pray. Lord, we pause right now to quiet our hearts. And no doubt there are many distractions and thoughts racing through our minds. But God, we just pause to let you know that everything we sung about you is so true. And we agree with that. And Lord, as the song said, what can we give to such a God that's given so much to us? If everything in nature was ours, if the mountains and the oceans were ours, Lord, that would not be a gift sufficient enough to give to you. So, Lord, what can we give? We can give of ourselves. God, I pray that we all in this room would quiet our hearts and focus in on what Pastor Bruce will have for us to say from your word. Lord, may we listen with intent to hear and to also do. You are worthy of our sanctification. You are worthy of our lives, our everything. And, Lord, we just pause and say... Thank you for who you are, and thank you in advance for how you're going to work in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Reese. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. I look forward to this fourth week in our synchronized series, and I have to commend all of you uh, this morning. When we started the synchronized series, I don't know if you remember, but we passed out a little card that had all of the weeks we were going to preach, all the different messages. So the point is, you knew four weeks ago that I was going to preach on giving today, and you still came to church today. Congratulations, okay? Um, some of you said, I didn't get that card, Pastor. I think I should have a redo, all right? Um, but this is an important subject in the scripture. We've noticed as we've looked at the early church in Acts chapter 2 that they were a church of whom Acts 2 and verse 46 says that they, had, they were of one accord. That means uh, we could say that they were synchronized. 
And a synchronized church looks like a group of believers who come together in a local assembly with different backgrounds and different perspectives, but are all blended together to accomplish the mission that God has given us to accomplish. That's, that is a synchronized church. And in order for us to get in sync as a church, it will require each one of us to get in sync with God ourselves. And so as we've studied throughout these several weeks, we've already looked at the importance of being synchronized together and seen the importance of our relationships as the church. And we've talked about how we need to be uh, synchronized also to uh, grow and to serve the Lord with our gifts. And by the way, I have just been blessed by how many of you have been wanting to get involved in ministry and wanting to be a part of a small group and really catching, uh, catching the vision that God has for us to get in sync as a church. It's been encouraging to my heart as a pastor. But now we come to this fourth way that we see the church was synchronized together and how we still need to be synchronized together today. And that is in the area of our giving. Now, a text of scripture where we see the early church being synchronized in their giving would be, again, in Acts chapter 2. And uh, this is in your notes, Acts 2, verses 44 and 45. The Bible says, and all that believed were together, and they had all things common. Now, that's a significant phrase, all things common. And sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. So here's what we see happening in the early church. Each believer shared God's blessings to benefit the needs of the whole. I'll say that again. Each believer shared what God had blessed them with to be able to meet the needs that existed for the whole church. That has always been God's design. And we find the phrase in verse number 44, all things common. They had all things common. That's a phrase that literally means that everything was available to everyone. Now let me clarify something that's falsely taught by many in our day and time. What is not being talked about here is some kind of communal welfare society. Right? And some people think, well, if we're going to do what the Bible actually says here, then everybody's going to sell everything they have, and they all put it into the same pool, and everybody gets the same amount. And that, that, that's, called, uh, that's more like communism than it is what the Bible was actually practicing here, okay? That was not what was happening. Every believer was led of the Holy Spirit to give whatever God led them to give, but every believer gave what God led them to give, and that is what contributed to being able to take care of all the needs of the whole church corporately. And uh, the, 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 the concept is every believer in the church did what the Holy Spirit led them to do, to contribute, to meet the needs of the whole church body. And that's significant for us to understand. And so for some of them in Acts 2, that means that they just gave a part of their income um, to be able to benefit the work of the Lord. Uh, for others of them, they were moved of God to sell possessions and to sell things that they had. So they had uh, the finances to be able to give to certain needs and to certain causes. But every believer was uh, commanded to uh, share what God led them to give to, uh, to uh, help with the needs of the whole. So last week we looked at this principle from a different angle. I'm going to look at it again, and I want, you to, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. God intends for the members of the church to meet the needs of the church. Now we looked at that in the context of service last week. Like there are big needs, and everybody needs to get involved with helping serve the needs of the church. You know, when it comes to the finances as well, God intends for the members of the church to meet the needs of the church. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever find the concept of denominationalism. 
Right? We are not a denomination. You say, well, we're Baptists. Well, we believe Baptist is a set of principles and not a denomination. We're independent. And see, the Bible teaches that there's not supposed to be some big organization that everybody sends their money to and they pay for every, every, all the needs for, for all the churches. But God, the Bible teaches that every church is supposed to be self-governing and also self-supporting, which means out of the membership of each local church, the members are to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to give what God leads them to give. And that helps to take care of the needs that exist in the body of the church. And the early church understood this principle and they practiced it. And the reason why it was easy for them to practice is because they understood a very basic concept that is so elementary when it comes to our giving, but so important for us to understand. And here it is. Listen to this. God owns everything. He owns everything. The Bible says in Psalm 24 and verse 1 that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The Bible says in James 17 and verse 1 that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. God owns everything. And so what that means is everything you have, everything I have, it comes from God. God owns it all. Now we like to think that the things we have, we have them because we earned them, because we worked hard for them. Um, and so it's ours to do with what we will. But the Bible actually teaches that the only reason you have anything is because God's so fit to bless you with it. And you wouldn't have anything unless he had blessed you with the things that you have. And so we tend to have a struggle with understanding this uh, whole perspective God's way. The Bible says all we have comes from God and belongs to God. A little boy came to church one Sunday and he was sitting there with his mom. And when the offering time came, his mom gave him uh, a couple of dollars to put in the offering plate. And the boy, as you could tell, was struggling a little bit with wanting to put the money in the offering plate. And so as the plate began to pass by, she leaned over and whispered to him real quick. And she said, son, quick, put, it in the, put, the, put the money in the offering. That money's tainted. And boy, the boy got a little bit scared. And he threw the money in the offering plate and off it went. And then he thought about it and he thought, Mom, why did you tell me the money was tainted? And she said, because it taint yours and taint mine. It's God's. <laughs> That's what you call a dad joke right there, okay? But it's true. It ain't ours. It's God's. And when you get a hold of the concept that everything you have is God's, you should have no problem giving God what's His. Amen? And that's the concept that the early church understand and understood, and we still need to understand this today. Now let me say this. I believe that giving is one of the truest indicators of spiritual growth in the church. And I was doing, doing, doing a little study on this this week, and it's been incredible. Over the past almost 10 years that I've been here as a pastor, our church has almost doubled in size uh, from where we were from, from when we first started. Uh, not quite, but almost. And in that, same, in that same time period, our church has quadrupled in its giving capacity. You say, well, what happened? Did everybody get better jobs? No, not exactly. In fact, I'd say not that at all. What has happened is that we have grown spiritually and our ability to give. And that's why I say spiritual growth will always be proportionate to financial growth or giving growth, I should say. And these two things run together line upon line. And here's why this principle is true. Jesus taught us, and this is in your notes, Matthew 6, verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart 
me also. Can we say that out loud with me? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, how you handle money is one of the truest indications of where your heart is really at today. And we're talking about getting in sync with God on this subject of giving. You really understand what the Bible teaches and what God desires for us when it comes to our giving. There's no way you can be in sync with God and not be willing to do what he is calling you to do individually in giving to the work of the Lord. And if we're going to be in sync as a church, we must come together and each one determined to be obedient with what God has enabled us and desires for us to do when it comes to this matter of our giving. Now, let's throw that. Oh, you already got it up there. The chart here. We've already seen how we've been synchronized to gather and synchronized to grow this week. Another way we're learning that we need to get synchronized in this, is in this matter of our giving to the work of the Lord. And so I ask you a simple question. Can you honestly say in your heart that you are in sync with God when it comes to this, this matter of your giving? Or would you have to say that there perhaps are some, uh, some areas you're holding back or some areas that you need to grow in? I have often wondered this. What would happen if every member of this church... Not only decided that we were going to enjoy relationships together and grow together. Not only got involved in serving and ministry. But if every person started to be obedient in giving the way that God wanted them to. I'll tell you something right now. We'll have no problem building a new building if we would simply be obedient to what the Lord has called us to do. We have no problem accomplishing the vision and the mission that God has for us if we would simply be willing to be obedient. And so how can we as a church get in sync with God on this matter of giving? And I propose to you that God gives us the answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So we're going to turn our attention to our text now. And I want you to notice four truths about giving that we each must embrace in order to get in sync with God in this area of our giving. The first truth I want you to write down is the petition for giving. Note down the petition for giving. Now, Brother Reese has already read our text for today. Let me give you a brief summary. God had used the Apostle Paul, who God used to write this, this, uh, these verses of Scripture. He had used the Apostle Paul to go plant the church in Corinth. And now he's writing back to these Corinthian believers in the city of Corinth. And he's talking to them specifically about an offering that they had dedicated themselves to give towards. He was talking to them about this matter of their giving. They had committed themselves to give to a special fund that was being collected to be sent to the Christians who were in Jerusalem who were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ to help support them in their affliction. And as Paul is writing to these believers at this church in Corinth, on the surface, Paul was talking about the fact that they should give what they said they were going to give. But beneath the surface, what Paul was really addressing was the reason why they should give it. See, it wasn't as significant to Paul what they gave as it was why they were giving it. The motivation for why they were giving is what Paul was primarily addressing there. You see, he didn't just want them to give for the sake of giving. He wanted them as they gave to have their hearts changed and affected by what they were doing. 
And that is what he was after. And so if you look at verse 5, for sake of time, in verse 5, he summarized this whole sentiment when he said that they, uh, that they needed to be uh, ready to give. At the end of verse 5, it says, as a matter of bounty and not as of covetous. You see that there? As a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. In other words, he wanted them to be able to give towards this cause as a generous offering from their own hearts. Instead of because they felt like they had to. See, the reason why they were giving was really what Paul was addressing here. And as I said, he wasn't really concerned about what they gave as he was about why they were giving it. And here's why. Let's don't miss this. Giving at its core is always a matter of the heart. As we already read in Matthew 6, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you look down at verse 7 of our text, he puts it this way. Every man according as he purposes in his way. In his heart, God desires for you to give out of your devotion to him and not merely out of a sense of duty. He doesn't want you to feel like you have to give. He, he, he asks you to give because you desire to do so because of your appreciation for what he has done for you. Now, Make no mistake about it. God does expect his people to give. And if you want to make it a duty, we could talk about that. But when it comes to motive, God really doesn't want you to do it because he, just because he asks you to and you feel like you have to. He wants you to do it because you desire to, because of what you know he's done for you. And let me make something clear. God does expect, this is a principle ingrained in, uh, a spiritual principle ingrained into uh, uh, God's economy. And the principle is the principle of the tithe. First and foremost, God expects his people to give the tithe to the Lord. The tithe is the first fruit. Uh, the word tithe is a word that means t a tenth. And when we talk about giving a tithe, a lot of people say, well, uh, anything I put in the offering plate, that was my tithe for this week. Well, that's not exactly true. You haven't given a tithe until you've given 10% of what God has blessed you with. 10% of your increase, so to speak. It's 10% of whatever your income might have been. That is literally what the Bible calls the tithe. And uh, the tithe is the Lord's. God expects for his people to give the tithe. Above and beyond the tithe is something that the Bible calls an offering. After you've given God what's his in the first fruits of your income, the first 10% of your income, then you can give an offering to the Lord. And an offering would be anything that you give over and above the tithe. And we have many opportunities for people to give to uh, give an offering to the Lord in our church. We encourage people to give an offering to support our missionaries, for example. We encourage people to give an offering to support uh, the building of our new building and, and benevolence and our youth group. And there's all kinds of ways you can give above and beyond your tithe to the work of the Lord. And so suffice it to say, yes, God does expect us to give. And by the way, to not give to the work of the Lord is to rob God of what's his. You say, I don't like this, Pastor. Well, it's what the Bible tells us. Listen, I'm not telling you anything that the Bible doesn't say. Look in your notes at Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6. The Bible says, will a man rob God? Man, that's pretty harsh language. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. 
See, when you don't give what God expects you to give, God considers that to be robbing him of what is rightfully his. And the interesting thing is God gives us everything we have. And I'm glad he doesn't ask for 90%. He asks for 10%. Amen. He, he wants us to thrive and be successful in life, but he asks us to trust him and being willing to give back to the work of the Lord. And so a very simple question to begin is, do you give to the Lord? And if you do, the more important question is, why? Why do you give? See, God isn't really concerned with what you give so much as he is concerned with why you are giving it. And it ought to be out of devotion and appreciation for him and what he's done for us. So number one, we see the petition for giving. The second truth I want you to look at is this, the, the principles of giving. After making a petition for us to give as God's people, then the Lord used Paul to go on and outline some core principles that ought to shape the manner in which you give to the Lord. And let's face it, when it comes to the modern day church, we have a lot of misunderstandings about what it actually means to give. And uh, a little girl was sitting in church with, with her dad one Sunday, and again, the offering was getting ready to be collected. Lots of great things happen during the offering, doesn't it? <laughs> the offering was getting ready to be collected, and as it was coming by, she saw her dad was about to put some money in the offering plate, and she leaned over and she said, Daddy, you don't have to pay for me. I'm under five years old. <laughs> You know, that's, I think, how some of us view church. Uh, sometimes, because of how we are in our culture, we come to a place like this and we think, yeah, well, it's kind of like my gym membership. I've got to pay my dues. Um, they're doing me a service. And so uh, that's not what the church is. We're a corporate body of Christ. And the reason we give is not for our own benefit. The reason we give is to further the work of the Lord. And so Paul gives us some important principles here that really tell us how to give the way God intends for us to. And as we look at these principles, I want you to ask yourself, is this the way that I'm giving? Is this the way that I'm giving? So let's look at the principles. Here's the first one I want you to note down. We're instructed to give generously. Give generously. Look at verse number 6 in your Bible. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. The Bible says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. This so way, farmer's metaphor is used here to illustrate the way that we ought to give as believers. And uh, imagine with me a farmer. Who, when it comes springtime, time to sow uh, his seed, he gets his seed and he decides, well, I kind of like this seed. I don't think I, I, I want to use all of it. I think I want to just put some of it out there. So he puts a little bit here and he puts a little bit there and then he takes the rest of his seed and he puts it up in his barn because he doesn't want to give up all of his seed. Well, it comes harvest time, I think he'll regret that decision. See, a farmer who understands the law of the harvest understands that the more seeds you sow, the bigger harvest you're going, to, you're going to yield. And a Christian who understands the law of the harvest will understand that the more you give, the more you can expect in return. And it's a simple principle ingrained into, uh, uh, into this world. It's the law of the harvest. I put these, put these in your notes, these three principles of the harvest. The first is this. You reap what you sow. 
You can't expect to uh, sow a seed for corn and have some beans grow from it. You reap what you sow. If you invest into the work of God, you will sow uh, the benefits of the work of God. Uh, but if you blow your money and invest it into worldly things or wicked things, you will reap the consequence of those things as well. You reap what you sow. The second principle is that you reap more than you sow. Right? Uh, it's estimated that one seed can produce between 30 and 100 times its amount when it, when it grows. And when you invest into God's kingdom, you're going to, you're going to receive more than what you ever gave. All right? And here's the third principle. You reap in proportion to what you sow. And verse 6 puts it this way. If you sow a little, you reap a little. If you sow a lot, you reap a lot. These are principles that ought to help us understand why the Bible tells us it only makes sense to be generous when you're giving to God because God takes care of those gifts and he'll take care of you. And uh, I love the story of R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau was a man who in his time was known as God's businessman. And here's why. He had, uh, during his lifetime... Invented over uh, 300, uh, 300 earth-moving type of, type of vehicles. Many of them uh, we're still using today. And he had patents on all of these things. And because of his entrepreneurial prowess, uh, he became a very wealthy man. But he decided that everything he had and that all the things that God allowed him to accomplish was because God had given it to him. And amazingly, he came to a point in his life where he actually started giving 90% of his income. To the work of the Lord. And he lived off of 10%. You say, well, that'd be easy. If I was a multi-millionaire, I could do that too, Pastor. Well, hold on a minute. I don't think it's easy whether you got $10 in your bank account or $10 million in your bank account. But he trusted God. And as he grew in his faith in the Lord, he learned that he could trust God. And that God would always take care of him. And he was the one who famously made the quote that I'm sure some of you have heard before. He said, I shovel out the money. And God shovels back, but God shovels bigger. <laughs> you know, the truth is illustrated. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. I love what the Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. It says, Give and it shall be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And my point in this is simple. When it comes to the matter of your giving, we all should be willing to grow, to trust God more and more when it comes to what we give. There's a, a church that I saw use this illustration that I want to show you here. If you put that chart up here for me. When you first get saved, the whole concept of giving or even tithing, it might be alarming to you. You might think, whoa, I can't do that. That doesn't make sense. Uh, to, to, to get, how, how would I survive? Uh, and it becomes very difficult to even consider giving anything to the work of the Lord. You're just emerging in your faith when it comes to the matter of your giving. But the idea is as you grow, you begin to become engaging. And as you see God provide for you and come through for you as you give, you learn to become expanding and even come to a place like R.G. Letourneau where you become extravagant in your giving. That's what spiritual growth and the grace of giving looks like for us. Now, you may, all of us are at different places when it comes to this matter, but I only share this illustration for the sake of telling you, no matter if you've given for one year, never, or for 30 years or more, 
I believe all of us can trust God more when it comes to this area of our giving. And there's always room for more growth. And I remember when Emily and I first started, uh, well, really, when I first started giving personally, before we were even married, it, it wasn't even tithing. Um, uh, but as we've grown in this, and after Emily and I got married, every year, I praise the Lord, uh, we have been able to give a little bit more of a percentage of what God blesses us with towards the work of God. And I believe that's something that God desires for all of us as believers. And so we see God tells us here this first principle that we are to give generously. Here's the second principle I want you to note down. And that is that we are to give intentionally. We are to give intentionally. Now, this is great, right? You all still with me? Say amen. amen. We're talking about giving today. Aren't you excited about that? <laughs> uh, give generously. The second principle is to give intentionally. Look at verse number seven. The Bible says every man according as he purposes in his heart. God instructs us to give with purpose. He said you're to purpose in your heart. That literally the word purpose there literally means to bring forth from your stores. Um, that's, that's what's indicated literally by that word. And the idea expressed here is that you are to consider what God has given you. And then follow the leading of God to give what he would have you to. And uh, that's, that's all God's asking for each one of us. You can't give something you don't have. But as you consider what God has given you, you need to prayerfully ask, God, what would you have me to do with what you blessed me with? We actually see a wonderful example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you look at your notes, the Bible actually illustrates for us what I believe every one of us should do before we go to church on Sundays. It says in Acts 16 verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches, and it goes on to say, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. The idea is you're supposed to, before you even come to the corporate assembly of church, to consider what has God blessed us with this week and what does God want me to give back to him with what he's blessed us with this week. It's intentional. See, it's not purposeless. God intends uh, for your giving not to be an impromptu response when the offering plate comes by. And we've all done that before, right? The offering plate comes by and you think, oh, uh, let's see, do I have any money in my pocket? <laughs> most, most of the time, that's where we're at when we're early in our faith. God does not intend for our giving to be that way. God intends for giving to be an intentional, willing offering to him as an act of worship. And so it is to be intentional, to give intentionally. Here's the next one. We're to give willingly, to give willingly. Look at verse number seven. The Bible says, every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Hey, motives matter when it comes to our giving. And the Bible tells us that we're not to give grudgingly. That means we're not to give because we're convicted that we should, even though we don't really feel like it, right? Um, and, and then it says that we're not to give of necessity either because we feel compelled, like we, we have to do it. Um, it's not really something that we wanted to do, something that we thought about doing. Uh, we feel that like we're going to feel bad if we don't do it. Right? That's essentially what those two things are talking about there. God doesn't want that to be our motive in giving. I would go so far as to say this. If you aren't willing to give, God doesn't want it. Because unless you're going to give with the right heart, it really doesn't matter. God doesn't need your money. And he's asking you to give for your own benefit. 
for your own growth in your faith. God's, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need what we have, but he knows that something happens in our hearts when we're willing to give. And it's glorifying to him and it pleases him. And so God wants us to give with a willing heart. Look at Exodus chapter number 35 and verse 5 in your notes. It says, take you from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a what? Willing heart. Let him bring it. An offering to the Lord. God wants us to give willingly. Here's the final principle. God wants us to give cheerfully. Now those two things seem like they're diabetically opposed. Give cheerfully. <laughs> but at the end of verse 7, what does it say? Let's read it out loud together. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Let's say it again. For God loveth a cheerful giver. God loves it when his people give cheerfully. That word cheerful in the Greek, it's, it's the Greek word uh, uh, hilaros is the Greek word. And it's the word that we get our English word hilarious from. So the Bible is literally indicating that your giving is supposed to be hilarious. All right. And I've never heard people laughing during the offering before, but that's literally what's indicated. And I grew up in a church where uh, when, we, when we took up the offering, everybody would start clapping. And he'd say, the pastor would say, let's have the ushers come forward at this time. And everybody start clapping. And I'll tell you, it was hilarious watching guests when that happened. They'd think, what is wrong with these people? This is the worst part of the church service. What are they so happy about, right? Um, and, but that's literally the Bible, what the Bible says our spirit is supposed to be when it comes to our giving. Heard the story about another little kid in church. Little kids make the best stories, don't they? He was sitting in church, and when he came to church, his mom had give him, given him a dollar and a quarter. And uh, his mom had said, whichever one you want to give, you can give it the offering. I'm not going to tell you which one. you got a dollar and you got a quarter. And he told his mom, well, I'm going to give the dollar to Jesus. She said, that's fine, son. And they were sitting in church. And he listened to the pastor right before the offering say, God loves a cheerful giver. And the offering plate came by. And he put the quarter in there. And he looked at his mom. And he said, Mom, the pastor said, God loves a cheerful giver. And I thought I'd be a whole lot more cheerful if I gave God the quarter and kept the dollar for myself. <laughs> All right? Hey, however you have to do it, okay? God loves a cheerful giver. Um, and I don't think that's exactly what God meant when he said it. But suffice it to say that, God, it should be a joyful thing. Why do we want to hold on to our stuff so much? I would say that it's because we haven't learned the joy of giving yet. And listen, this isn't something I can illustrate to you. It's not something I could get across to you. It's something you have to experience for yourself. Jesus is the one that told us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it truly is. And when you learn the joy of giving, boy... You will love being able to give to others and give to the work of the Lord. But until you take that step of faith, you may not think that it makes sense right now. But when, you, when you're able to help someone in need, when you're able to give and see the work of God go forward, boy, there is true joy in those things. And so we've seen in the, in the first place that uh, God wants us to give with the right motive. And when we give with the right motive, we will be able to give in the right manner. And we see these principles for giving. Now let's look at the third truth, and that is the promise. There is a promise in giving. We're almost out of time, so I'll just have to breeze over these things. But thank God that God just doesn't say, do it and get over it. Right? As he tells us to give, he makes every assurance to us that it will be worth it. And as we give, he makes some wonderful promises to us. 
Notice the first one. Write this one down. He promises this. God will enable you to give. God will enable you to give. Look at verse number 8 in chapter number 9. It says, For God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. What the Bible begins to teach us here is that God will give you what you need to, to continue to be able to give. Now, you may look at your situation right now and say, Pastor, there's no way that I could do that right now. Well, I've got good news for you. Look at verse 8 again. It says, but God is what? Able. You may not think you're able. Can I tell you who is? God's able. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Listen, he, he owns everything that there is in the world. And listen, if you would learn to trust God, even though you don't feel like you can, if you would learn to trust God with this matter of your giving, God will come through for you every single time. And I like to say this. God can help you do more with 90% of your income and you giving 10% than what you could hope to do with 100% of your income keeping it for yourself. God can do so much more with it. God will bless you and take care of you. Uh, uh, the, the Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, bring you the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And then he says, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruit of your grounds. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, hey, go ahead and give and just prove me. Just try me. If I won't be good for what I said I'd do. You give, you be obedient, and I promise I'll take care of you. So that you'll continue to be able to do what I've asked you to do. Now, the month of January was kind of a rough month for the Burkett House. And uh, one of those kinds of months that all of us have had. Uh, our sink stopped working. I, we had car issues. Um, had to get that dealt with. We, we, uh, our stove went out. Um, and then we were uh, perpetually sick. It's the thing about having five kids. It's lots of fun until somebody gets sick. And then it's just a cycle, Right? So lots of doctor's visits. And, and the bills went up with all of these things too. And we had sat down at the beginning of the year and we made some big goals for giving and for saving and for different things this year. And, and boy, this month we just thought it was going to be a wash when it came to that because uh, we, were, we were trying to figure some things out. But it's amazing. Every one of those things that I just mentioned, I, I could tell you an individual story for every one of them. Um, God took care of each one of them. But when we replaced the sink, Somebody, somebody just randomly gave us some cash that took care of that need. We didn't even, they didn't even know that our sink hadn't been working, then we had to get it fixed. When it came to the stove, we, uh, we got rid of the old stove, and, and we went down to Bob's place and uh, tried, uh, found a new-to-us stove that was going to work for us, and uh, they got it all cleaned up for us. And, and wouldn't you know it, when we went to go pick it up, we went there, and they said, somebody came in, and they paid for your stove for you. Hey. Wow. I hadn't hardly even told anybody about, about the need, but God put it on somebody's heart and they came in and took care of it. And I can go down the line and tell you how God took care of all the other things as well. You know what? God's so good to take care of us. And one of the things we had decided at the beginning of the month is, you know what? Even if uh, some of the bills have to be pushed into February or, or, or March for, for paying for some of these things, we're going to keep giving what God told us to give because we know that's what God told us to give. You know what God did? He rebuked the devourer. For our sake. 
Uh, all these things break down for all of us. But when we're faithful to do what God's told us to do, God is faithful to do what he said he would do. And he takes care of us. And I know many of you could tell stories like that too. And thank God for it. You see, God promises that he will enable you to give. Here's the second truth, the second promise. Um, God will enrich what you give. God will enrich what you give. Now, we don't have time to cover this thoroughly here today, but if you look at verse 12, here's what he says. He says, for the administration or the carrying out of this service or this matter of giving not only supplies the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration or this service of giving, they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God that is in you. The point is this. The promise that we're given here is that God will use your gifts that you give to the Lord to further his kingdom and to bless others. In verse number 12, we see this demonstrated when Paul said that their gifts were going to supply the needs of the saints. And listen to me on this. Don't miss this. When you give, listen, people are helped. Needs are met. Churches are planted. Missionaries are supported. The gospel advances. And God uses the, uh, uh, the generous gifts of his people to provide for the needs of the ministry so that the work of the gospel can go forward. And listen, we don't always get to see all the benefits. I'm even thinking about the Christmas festival that we just participated in just a, just a, a, a month and a half ago. And it was amazing to me this morning, the three people who got baptized in the first service, they got saved and they got baptized directly through our efforts to minister to our community in that Christmas festival. Many of you gave. Many of you bought things and brought it in to make that possible. Can I say their being in the kingdom of God, their being, going to their, their being able to go to heaven one day, you have a part in that because you gave. And you made an eternal investment that made an internal impact in the lives of those three people. And I guarantee if they were still here this morning that they'd be willing to stay up and stand up and say thank you for giving. Because it's worth it. And see, God promises that he'll take the gifts we give and use them to advance his kingdom and to accomplish his purposes. And I'll say this. There's a lot of things you can invest your money in. The best investment is always into eternity. The best investment is always into eternity. Matthew 6, verse 19. The Bible says, lay not for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where things don't rust and fade and, and all of those kinds of things. And it's always best to invest into the account of eternity because that yields an eternal reward. So we see the promise in giving. As you give, what wonderful promises and assurances were given from the Lord that he will take care of you and he will bless you as you give. Which leads us to the final truth. And that is the precedent of giving. The precedent of giving. Now, all I want to say at the end here is one simple thing. Paul doesn't end this conversation on giving with the focus on our generosity. He ends this discussion on giving with the focus on the generosity of Jesus. Look at verse 15. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Right? Ready and begin. 
Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It is the generosity of Jesus that compels us to be a generous people. You say, what do you mean? One simple verse illustrates what I'm talking about. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. And it is the love of God that compelled him to give that teaches us as the followers of Christ. As we understand his love for us to want to be able to give back in return for what he has done for us. You see, we are not spiritual initiators. We are spiritual reciprocators. Say, what do you mean by that? We don't know how to love how we ought to. But 1 John 4, 19 says we love him. Why? Because he first loved us, right? We don't know how to love until we see how Jesus loved us. And in the same sense, we don't really understand how to give until we understand how Jesus gave to us. We understand the generous nature of our Savior as his followers that motivates us and compels us to be generous in our, in our position as, as his followers as well. And so I told you at the beginning that God intends for the members of the church to meet the needs of the church. And this is an area where we need to get in sync together as a church. And so where are you at in this matter of your giving? Would you say that you're in sync with God when it comes to giving the tithe to the Lord giving an offering to the Lord, with doing these things that God has asked us to do as a part of His church. Because if in any way you are not aligned with Him, I hope that you'll be willing to evaluate your own spirit and seek the Lord with what He would have you to do and be willing to make a response to be obedient to the Lord when it comes to your giving. Now for many of you, we put inside of your bulletin today a card. I told you I was going to put these cards in there every week as a practical reminder of what we're talking about. Whether or not you ever turn this card in is irrelevant. You'll notice it doesn't have a name on it because it really is irrelevant. This card is really for your benefit more than anything else. As you evaluate what God would have you to do when it comes to tithing and giving an offering to the Lord, I'd encourage you as you write a budget to consider writing into that budget what God would have you to give so you can be an obedient follower of the Lord. Ultimately, if you're in here today and you do not know the Lord, you need to basically ignore everything I just said. Because giving is not what you need. What you need is Jesus. You don't need to give something. You need to receive something. Jesus died for you, for all of your sins. He was buried. He rose again. And he's alive and in heaven today. And the Bible says he's able to save to the uttermost anybody who will come to God by him the Bible says that as many as receive Jesus, to them he will give the power to become children of God. And the truth is, if you are in here today and you don't know when you die that you're going to heaven, the thing that you need to do more than anything else is to trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to be your Lord and Savior. And I hope that you'll make that decision today.